May I have your attention, please? Well, there were a few people that looked up. Because when we hear that, uh, that phrase, uh, whatever is going on in our minds, whatever we might be doing, that, that, that phrase disc our attention. Uh, we do have a tradition that I think was authored uh, from teen camp or elsewhere that if you see this, you know, everybody stops talking. You know, once they, and they see the T, that means time out and it gets quiet. So when we hear someone ask for our attention, especially in a public address like this, we, we stop what we're doing. And we listen for a while until we can discern that whatever's being said doesn't really concern me. So I can go back to doing whatever I was doing. I can go back to thinking whatever I was thinking or whatever. And then I had a, uh, a deacon. There was a deacon in one church where I worked. He made the comment to me one time. He said, Mr. Strain, if you want everyone to hear the announcements, you're going to have to give them six times. So for six weeks, <laughs> you wonder why we have announcement that week after week after week. Uh, and even after we give those announcements, sometimes three or four times, uh, we still have people who ask, what about so-and-so? And it may be in the bulletin for a month. It may be announced for a month. And some of us still don't always pay to note those things. So we, we listen up for a while based on, on that in, in response to that, uh, that said. We li- listen to it until for a certain period of time. And whatever might distract us from that, whether it be a former thought or a former, former activity, whatever we're doing, then we go back to doing those things. And our, our attention can be affected by a number of factors at any given time, whether I'm not, not just talking about church service, but whatever has our attention, we can uh, have our attention drawn away from that by a certain number of factors. And we'll, we'll discuss some of those factors as we go through the sermon, certainly in the early part of the sermon. But as part of the introduction, I want to consider one factor in particular that does badly affect us, at least those of us that maybe spend a great deal of time involved with it. We have to, uh, this particular point. So I'd like to read to to you briefly uh, from a couple of articles that I uh, pulled off the web. And I will, on the front end, I will say that as I go through this, this, this is not new to any of you. This is uh, a confirmation or, say, a reaffirmation of something you've heard before. But in so doing, I would like to at least qualify it to a degree you know, in the sense that there are studies that a smaller number of studies that conflict with this. But the predominant feeling about this, this particular matter is, uh, is a pretty widespread. It has to do with technology, the impact of technology on our brains. And open up the article ends with this, this particular write-up, about what is attention span. To define as attention span refers to the amount of time we can focus on a task before we start to zone out, quote unquote. So, and this is a coming from a uh, written by a lady named Jana Breck, and dated somewhat in 2013, then revised in 2015. So, 
for some of us, that might seem like ancient history. Uh, it's seven years ago, or it's uh, nine years ago. But writes, is it any wonder our attention spans are becoming shorter? You're probably not surprised to learn this trend when you consider our increasing exposure to technology. The burden of information overload and the dumbing down of the masses through mass media. This trend was foreseen many years ago by Nobel-winning economist Herbert Simon, who wrote, A wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. So give us an idea of what, how much information is available out there on the web. That uh, It varies, and there's a, a lot of it. And she goes on writing, Particularly susceptible are the young. They rely increasingly on social media to feed their vulnerable sense of self-esteem, and so they enter an addictive cycle of dependency on the feedback they receive through technology. What has changed here is that in the past, they relied on feedback that came from face-to-face interaction with their friends and family. Now, the reality is that for a fair number of our young people sitting right here, that's all they've ever known. Growing up in the age of the Internet, and in the last 10 to 15 years in particular, that's, that's all they know. They've not seen what happened, what it was like before. It says, of course, it's not only the young who are vulnerable to the effects of exposure to screen technology. Those of us who work long hours in front of a computer screen are also undergoing hidden changes to our brain function. It's scary and sobering thought. Writes, it, all, it follows that our growing addiction to technology is altering the way we think and feel. Our brains are responsible not only for conscious thought, but also for our emotional life. So it's a, not, not, not a new item. Another article here that has to do with focus, distraction, and the impact of technology. And this is from an article in 2017 from the academyofideas.com. The ability to direct, control, and sustain your attention is one of the most crucial in mental, of the mental faculties that we possess. Daniel Goldman, in his book Focus, went as far as to call it, quote-unquote, the hidden driver of excellence. And the book is written, uh, then another gentleman, William Gallagher, wrote, Wrapped, R-A-P-T, Attention and the Focused Life. He writes here, Your life, who you are, what you think, feel, and do, what you love, is the sum of what you focus on. If you could just stay focused on the right things, your life would stop feeling like a reaction. These words, I think, are very telling. You would stop feeling like a reaction to stuff that happens to you and become something that you create, not a series of accidents, but a work of art, by staying focused on the right things. He writes, our ability to focus is like a muscle. Exercise it properly, and its strength will grow, abuse it, and it will wither. One of the biggest culprits in terms of diminishing our ability to focus is the excessive use of modern technologies, 
specifically smartphones, the Internet, and social media. So the rise of modern technologies has created a situation where we are now inundated with far more distractions and and interruptions than ever before. Modern technologies weaken our mental faculties required for sustained focus. So puts out here what makes many of these modern technologies especially harmful in respect to degrading our ability to focus is that they are designed to entice people to constantly check them. And I think we can uh, recognize that's a reality. He writes here, social networks which are designed to make use of this habit-forming behavior, Facebook being a prime example, and uh, I realize that for some of us today, Facebook's kind of passe, <laughs> uh, the other, other tools out there, other media. But being a prime example has, design, has designed their feed in a dynamic manner so that the posts are constantly changing. While most of the posts will be uninteresting, usually a few of them will pique one's interest. So users are constantly enticed to check the feed, knowing that there is potentially a new interesting post. So they design it on purpose that way. An additional negative impact that modern technologies have on our ability to focus stems from the staggering amount of information they lay at our fingertips. Wealth of information creates a poverty of attention, which I read earlier in one of the other comments. So pointing out there, he talks here from regarding from a, a book uh, by Cal Newport called Deep Work, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. These social media services aren't necessarily as advertised. The lifeblood of our modern connected world, it, they, they portray themselves and we have come to think of them ourselves, ourselves we th- think of them as that they are vital to our, our world and our work. They are just products developed by private companies, funded lavishly, marketed carefully, and designed ultimately to capture, then sell your personal information and attention to advertisers. They are one unimportant distraction among many threatening to derail you from something deeper, which is the ability to focus on the job at hand, focus on those things that really matter. So that's a matter of this one factor is technology. Now, you've heard all of that before, I understand. But I wanted to use that as an introduction to the, to, the, to the sermon. This afternoon, I wanted to note some of the other physical factors that affect our ability to focus and to concentrate. And from those, draw some parallels to our focus on spiritual matters and their effect on our literal faith. So you want a title for the sermon, Spiritual Focus and Faith. When I talked about all the the, the negatives, about uh, what can cause distraction, what can cause us to lack focus, there are a number of other factors that impair our ability to focus. And I'm going to go through these quickly. I, don't have a, I won't give a lot of description because, I'm, again, many of these things have been discussed in detail. But uh, not new information, but hopefully 
compiled here for us will be helpful. Poor diet, first one, poor diet and nutrition. If we're not eating the proper foods and nourishing and, and, and enriching our physical bodies properly, then it's going to affect our ability to concentrate and our ability to focus on matters in. Weight loss diets are notoriously bad for focus and concentration. Low-fat diets can ruin focus because the brain needs certain essential fatty acids. But not getting enough protein is bad, too. The amino acids are very crucial for creating key brain chemicals to be used in focus. So hunger, obviously, is also a distraction, and we need, we need to have the, the right food. And this is obviously available, or information we see this advertised on TV about providing food for meals for children at school. Another one here that uh, a number of people do take some, uh, some effort to avoid, even the services, it's called dehydration. And uh, most of us don't realize I think, how, uh, how important it is to drink adequate amounts of water in particular. Loss of focus is a definite side effect of not drinking enough water, and studies prove it. So there are, and depending on the number of things I've talked to, to uh, uh, the, the medical professionals about things, and it's always common refrain is make sure you drink enough water. And I've heard that all my life from one of my uh, one of my sister, one of my sisters, and also one of my daughters, and uh, they noticed that I have to admit I don't always drink adequate amounts of water. But it is a factor, and this has got my attention just, re just reviewing this. Lack of sleep, that should come as no surprise. If we're sleepy, we're not going to be able to concentrate and focus on things. Stress, uh, we get in a situation and our lives are full of stress, it's going to affect our ability to focus. And again, remember the phrase, we focus on the right things is what's important. Also mentioned here are medical, emotional, and psychological problems. Uh, I think that's a, uh, a very obvious statement. If you're sick, if I'm sick, it's hard to focus on anything. If you have a, uh, I've been fortunate in not having very many headaches in my life, but whenever I get one, it's because it's rare. In my case, a headache can be very distracting and unable to do the things I would normally want to do. And if we're emotionally upset, we're going to be preoccupied with whatever is causing that upset, and we're not going to give due attention to the things that we might want to pursue. Lack of physical activity. We've heard many, many times that we need to exercise our bodies, that just exercising vigorously will drain away stress and will in, in, enhance our ability to focus on the things that we want to do. So the factors that improve are the opposite of that, a good diet, proper nutrition, plenty of water, again, even having the right environment uh, physically and spiritually, getting a good night's sleep, and then exercise, and uh, trying to avoid things to, uh, that create stress, to find a way to reduce stress, exercise, uh, doing something you really enjoy if you have a hobby that can be a factor in Reducing stress. And here even lastly, uh, last one mentioned here is good breathing. That if you're feeling bothered, feeling upset, is just stop 
and take a series of, it says here, seven deep breaths. And uh, it's also mentioning to use your stomach, use your uh, below your diaphragm and breathe in deeply and do that seven times for three in three uh, three sets. And that will actually help calm down stress and feeding our body plenty of oxygen will enhance our ability to focus on, on matters at hand. So they just coming to the to the body of the, the sermon, and one might say, well, that all sounds really good physically. It's a matter that's going to help us there. And how does that affect us, and how is that related to spiritual matters? We'll just read a couple of three or four scriptures here quickly that show this focus, their ability to focus and ability to concentrate are very important spiritually. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Brood of vipers, Christ is speaking, of course, how can you, being evil, speak good things? In other words, if you're evil and your thoughts are evil, how are you going to speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That the ability to focus and to concentrate and do the right things is a matter, simply put, that carries a character is a matter of the mind. Character is a matter of the mind. In Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6, 16, beg your pardon. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. It says here, A man's heart plans his way, but the eternal directs his steps. So God can guide what we do despite, regardless of our plans. But what we want to do, what we plan to do, comes from our heart, comes from our minds. We think these things through that we want to, to do, we want to focus on. And then in chapter, chapter 4, in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, Verse 23, and of course this is a, this, this verse has a wide implication spiritually speaking. But it says, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your mind, for out of it springs the issues of life. So what we allow into our minds, what we allow into our brains is going to affect what comes out. Out of the heart are the issues of life. In chapter 23, Verse 7, Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. I'll stop there. What's going on in your mind and what goes on in my mind, those are the things that reflect my heart, my character. And as we think and as we put into our minds, those things come out. So again, what we allow in our minds is a matter of 
critical importance. And modern technology is, again, just one factor. Unfiltered, unfiltered technology, as opposed to unfiltering it carefully, can become much more than just a distraction. It can actually affect the kind of people we are and become what in, in other terms here in some of these studies become a major disruptor and also an interference where it totally takes you away from what uh, what is on your mind, what you're doing. So very important we take the proper steps to control what goes into our minds. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we'll read verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. So what we hear is important. And coming down to concentrating and staying focused, what we do at Sabbath services. How focused are we? How focused do we stay? Did we go through the Sabbath service that says here that we need to be taught and that this is going to affect us? No, it's not. Uh, I don't think it, uh, I heard it today, but uh, uh, almost always in the opening prayer we hear that we ask God to bless what's said, but we also ask him to bless the hearing because you and I hear things differently in what is spoken in the sermon based on our frame of reference, what what we are, our past has been like, maybe what even happened this morning that certain words or certain scriptures or certain points can have a different effect on any one of us based on our individual frame of reference. So we ask God to bless the hearing so that we hear what he wants us to hear and how well, how carefully you and I are listening. And uh, I realize I'm up here talking, but I'm out there most of the time. I'm only here on a couple of occasions, you know, every quarter. And I get taught a lot more than I get to teach directly, if you will. So it's important that we focus on what is being said. And not only here, but what about the Bible study on Wednesday evenings? Uh, We're at home, and uh, maybe it's at dinner time, but then we get there and have dinner. And uh, we uh, don't listen as closely as we might at Sabbath services, where hopefully the speaker's getting undivided attention. That's a presumptive statement there. Uh, but it's easy, maybe on Wednesday evening, to not focus because it's uh, just the setting is different. And uh, so how, how carefully are we listening to and attending to what is being said to be taught God's Word? And it's a... Uh, Reminds me, uh, this goes back uh, back when I was a ministerial assistant in, in Glendale, California, and uh, sharing a Bible study with the pastor. 
And he went through a, we used to, you know, most Bible studies used to be every week, and we would go through a chapter or two of the Bible, uh, and take a good while to go through Isaiah or whatever, but we do a chapter or two at a time. And I asked him if, if I would just, uh, had a sermonette idea, if we could do a test after this Bible study. And I had ten simple questions. I remember, I don't, I don't remember all of them, but I remember the first one. First question was, what chapter of the Bible did we discuss tonight? Now, my memory is a bit hazy, <laughs> uh, but as I recall, only about half of the people who bothered to turn in the test, <laughs> it was voluntary, but only half of the people got that question correctly. Now, that wasn't the most important thing that was discussed in the Bible. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, whatever the principles were, whatever the scripture said, those were more important than just knowing which chapter it was. But it does, I think, in a way, it's very telling as to how closely we were paying attention. And out of the ten questions, I think the average was somewhere around 65% correct answers. And that's giving a a ten-point question, none of them really hard, uh, within a matter of minutes, after discussing about a 45-minute study, because there were other things we did on the front end. So the sermonette was about grading, <laughs> the grades without identifying anyone, but it was about paying attention to what, uh, what was being taught. So we pray about understanding what is given, that what we hear is relevant to us, that God is teaching us individually, and hopefully all of the things are relevant to us, but some things, well, I know this very well, that there are some points that really are instructive. Sometimes they're cutting in the kinds of correction we receive from God's word given to Sabbath services. But understanding is what he says here, that uh, understanding is what, based on what we hear, understanding and knowledge are based on our ability to absorb that, those things, and on our Willingness to discipline ourselves and concentrate and focus on it. Sabbath services are meant to convey knowledge and understanding. And so based on our attention span, how carefully we listen and apply these things to ourselves, then they're going to be effective accordingly. But in in chapter 10, let's go back to Romans here. Verse 17 talks about hearing without a preacher. You need a preacher to hear God's word. Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing. For all of us, our faith is actually enhanced week by week by hearing God's word taught. So faith comes by hearing. It comes by personal study, of course, uh, certainly. Our individual study. But Sabbath services and Bible studies, a chance to be taught God's word, that we have a chance to have our faith built by what we hear each week. So it's important for us to diligently and carefully focus when we study, when we pray, and think about those things. Uh, we, we, uh, uh, we've used the term sleepy time prayer. Uh, we, you know, uh, we need to focus when we pray. And how many of us 
uh, our minds wander uh, when we're praying, especially at night if we're sleepy, if we wait too long. How do you know that uh, uh, I'm human? I experience that if I wait too late to, to pray, uh, sometimes if I just before I go to bed. Uh, by then, I'm, t- I'm uh, maybe too tired to focus the way I should. But if we do it before we get too tired or too sleepy, uh, it's more effectual. Uh, what about sleepy time Bible study? <laughs> uh, if we're tired, we've not had enough sleep, and we start reading God's Word, uh, it's easy to, after a while, you have to read that verse over, and you read it again, and you read it again, and you think, God, I'm sorry, I better go to bed. Uh, whatever. We get to, we, sleepy time prayer and Bible study is a time where we can analyze ourselves as to how well we are concentrating and focusing on what, again, is right. You know, we, we, you've often heard, some of you are old enough to have heard, directly from Mr. Armstrong, and others have heard us tell that we heard Mr. Armstrong say that he thought maybe the biggest problem and shortcoming in people's lives was to that they would put their hearts into their prayers. Their prayers become routine, and they're not as focused and not as strong and as they should be and need to be. Over in Second Timothy, chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two. Verse fifteen. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So it talks about studying God's word and studying it diligently to show and to be approved by God. So it requires diligent study. And we think about doing that. We know this is the word of God. But let's go back to the book of Proverbs and look at one description that God gives his Bible in Proverbs 22. So going through the items on technology was just one example, but all of the others, whether it be diet, uh, sleep, lack of exercise, those items, all of those things contribute, can contribute, done properly, to our spiritual lives and faith because we are fo- able to focus on God's word. Here in Proverbs 22, verse 17, we'll read verses 17 through 21. It says, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. So earnestly study, diligently study. Apply our hearts to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them be fixed upon your lips that you will, that will help you to know what, what to say in various situations. How to have the right kind of conversation. So that your trust may be in the eternal. So you do this to have this trust in God, which is faith. We study God's word, have these things embedded in our minds going to build our faith. I have instructed you today, even you, 
Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may know, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you, call to you. God says here he's given us, written to us excellent things of counsels and knowledge, things that we study and inculcate into our lives and we practice them. We put them, he says here, fixed on our lips, dictates, help dictate the kind of conversations we have, what kind of words, if you will, that pass across our lips. So it's very important that we do certain proper and physical things that will enable us to absorb and understand and retain the knowledge that we're given in God's word and the wisdom to apply that knowledge appropriately and correctly. And all of those things obviously will build our lives. And our faith is being built and continues to do that as we go through life. I know there are there are trials that we go through and there are events in, 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 say in the people, in the church, that uh, our friends, our families, and even those of uh, things that might happen in other parts of the world that cause us to at least briefly answer or ask ourselves, why? Why this happened? And we already know that trials are part of growing and overcoming, and we also know that we can't always know the why these things happen. We do know that God's in charge, and he knows our very thoughts, that nothing escapes him, then he's well aware of what happened, and he allowed it to happen. And part of knowing that he's in charge is also we recognize that, that these things happen, and we, we know he's in charge. It, it builds our faith. And we ask ourselves, why? Because that's human. But you and I know the why and the wherefore of these things, that God does allow them to happen. Let's turn over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And we'll read the first seven verses just to get the context. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Colossians. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you, Paul writing to the church in Colossae, and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul had never been there to either one of those those cities, and he's writing to them. He says, I want you to know that I have great conflict because I haven't been there, but that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. So there's a separate idea, but one of those key scriptures to show us there is no trinity because this mystery of God concerns the Father and of Christ and no mention of of the Holy Spirit being in a third person. But in whom these individuals are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, someone come along preaching a different gospel. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order 
and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So what they had been taught were matters of knowledge and understanding leading to the faith they had so that their lives were, in fact, they were steadfast in that faith. So Paul is talking about the knowledge and mystery and a full assurance of understanding that was available to them by the things they had been taught. So that's what we want to have, this full assurance of faith. We want to be grounded and established in faith, and studying the Bible carefully and diligently is paramount to having that kind of strengthened faith. Let's turn over to First Peter. First Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5, breaking into the middle of a thought, but who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, the depth, the, the uh, honesty of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he returns, that that, that faith will be, be rewarded. And he talks about here that they're going to go through test by fire, that that faith is going to be tested by fire. The genuineness of it, the... the the strength of it, that how and we talk about having faith, then how are we going to hold up under a fiery trial? Is that going to cause us to question our faith? It can, and it does, and I think most often temporarily we go through our, we have, maybe we might have temporary doubts, but we shouldn't be the case. And I want to go back, let's go back to Daniel and go through a couple of very familiar accounts. And, and I do this deliberately, if you will, because they are well known, but uh, they exhibit literally what Peter wrote, wrote about. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 1. To get some context, Daniel chapter 1, verse 6, and this is, of course, where the, the Jews are in captivity. Verse 6 is, and from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, names that you and I don't remember. <laughs> we don't commit these to memory too well because we know the other names. Uh, more, more, more readily. But the point here is that these, these four individuals that were chosen from the Jews to be uh, trained and qualified to, to serve 
at court. Let's go over to verse 17. As for these four young men, so young people, those of you that consider yourselves young, listen up. Uh, those of you that are older <laughs> need to listen up too. But uh, think about this. These are young men, young men in captivity, long away from home. But they're chosen. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. Uh, would that we all could be so blessed. But God gave them special gifts, very special gifts. In literature and in wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, now these days, talking about these, the training period was for three years, and we already know that, but in the history, I'm sure that that they were supposed to eat certain foods that were provided by the king's uh, servants, but they chose not to do that, and they went their own way, and and uh, they managed it. And in the days, at the end of three years. When the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them. Uh, might that make you a bit nervous <laughs> to be interviewed, questioned? Uh, I, it, uh, I don't know how many of you, if you ever, you've ever gone, how many, how many of you have gone, been called to jury duty? Uh, okay. Fair number of you. Uh, I've been called several times. One more memorable than the others. This was down in Florida. Texas was pretty easy, frankly. You just got, you go to the judge and hand him your paper and he'd look at it and he'd say, so you can't testify or can't, do you have No, no, I can't do that. <laughs> okay, get out of here. But in Florida, it was a bit different. One of the time we were, uh, got, we led into a court case. They're about to, they're about to try the case. And there's a judge there, there's a prosecuting attorney, there's a defending attorney, and there are some other witnesses. And the judge starts asking questions. Uh, and you get to answer directly, then he's up, up on the stage. It's a bit nerve-wracking. And you, and then, he said, when he finishes, any more questions? Well, Mr. District Attorney, do you have any, or prosecuting attorney, do you have questions? Well, yes, I do. Uh, it can be nerving, unnerving, if you will. So interviewed by the king, I think they would, uh, uh, being young, they might be a little bit intimidated, but maybe not based on the rest of the story. So come in there and he interviews them. And, uh, and, and when he interviewed them, and among them in verse 19, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. So God had given them very special gifts, that it, and ten times where that's literal or it's a, uh, a, a Hebraism, if you will, that just is many times, multiple times better. But God had given them very special gifts, and they served... Before the king. So here are four young captives who are uh, down somewhere where the captives are. 
And they were picked out to be trained and go and serve in the king's court. The good life, all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, eat well, and I imagine sleep well, comfortable uh, quarters. So not knowing what's about to happen. Chapter 2. Verse 26, chapter 2, verse 26, the king's had a dream, of course. king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that you are, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. won't happen by them. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And he goes on, verse 29, uh, he says, And as for you, O king, Thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. We'll go into the dream. But this is an important dream, and we understand how important it was to prophecy and our understanding of it today. But it was revealed to Nebuchadnezzar. Let's go over to verse 47. And after Daniel has explained all the detail behind the dream... He related the entire dream and then interpreted it for Nebuchadnezzar. Then in verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets that you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And then Daniel petitioned the king, and he, he, and he said, now we know the names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, the uh, Babylonian names, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So these four young men now are, Daniel is the chief administrator for the province of Babylon, and his three assistants are these other three Jews. But they had better quarters, perhaps, than before. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So he was literally in the king's presence, serving there and living, I'm sure, what would one would call an abundant life. But things were obviously going to change. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose, head, whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits, he set it up in the plan of Dura in the province of Babylon. Verse 6. And then the command was, Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. In verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews, the three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they spoke and said to the king, O king, live forever. Goes on, verse 14, after being informed that these three administrators, key administrators, would not worship. And uh, we go in verse, verse 14, after finding this out, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. Verse 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. Now here, the words do tell us they really weren't nervous. Uh, They were trusting in God, and they did not hesitate. And he answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We We don't really have to worry about what we're going to say. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, if God chooses not to do that, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods and will, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So we know that Nebuchadnezzar was enraged by that, and they were. Verse 23, uh, told cast in the fire, therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were put into the furnace, but in the, and the, the guys that uh, delivered them there uh, were the ones that burned up. Verse 27, the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. We're talking about a complete package here of protection. No evidence of any damage done whatsoever to them. Now, it goes without my saying, but that literally is a fiery test. Their faith did not waver. Now, I would imagine after being delivered, their faith was even stronger. But they stood stood their ground, if you will, and they they passed that test admirably. And of course, they were rewarded for that. They were delivered from it, went back to their went back to their duties. Now, there's no indication there that Daniel was present. Maybe he was traveling. Had, uh, duties called him somewhere else. But let's go over to chapter six. You know the story, but we'll rehearse it because we need to understand. And, and, and once again, I think, try to relive what's going on here. Because right now it goes without saying that most of us will never experience this directly. Some of us may before the end of the age. Who knows? But many of us will never, ever have this kind of trial cast upon us. And so these things are vital for us to learn from what happened and have these accounts again build our faith. Chapter 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charges against Daniel concerning the kingdom. The jealousy, uh, the planning, the conniving to find something to criticize him for, but they could find no charge or fault. In verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. That's the only possible trap we might lay 
concerning him. So, verse 7, the governors, administrators, and all these men consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, as most uh, potentates would be, probably vulnerable to the, to uh, uh, his vanity. And it, it's just on, on its surface without thinking, hey, that, that sounds good. You know, I, I like being worshipped and, and followed. So Darius signed this, this decree. And said, when Daniel knew in verse 10 that the writing was signed, that latter part of the verse, he knelt down, he went to his apartment and knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed, gave thanks, as was his custom since early days. And these men assembled, found Daniel praying and making supplication before God. So we then go down to uh, verse 16. So they reported and to, to, uh, to Darius. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the, speak, the king spoke to Daniel, uh, saying, spoke to Daniel. By the way, I skipped over uh, uh, verse 14. And the king, when he heard these words, he realized he'd uh, stuck his foot in a, in a bear trap. Because he says, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. Because if he thought that well of Daniel to you and consider him placing him over the entire realm of Babylon, then the idea that he would have to throw him into a den of lions probably got his attention. Greatly displeased with himself. He labored, in that part, he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He thought and he thought he thought, but then he really had no choice. He says here in the last part of verse 16, where I broke off a moment ago, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, could he remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I don't know the story. Because this is Darius, not Nebuchadnezzar. So different different matter. So, But he's confident that good will come out of it. Verse 19 then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, you, think about it. He, there's a, probably a certain nervousness in his voice. He says it with lamenting voice there. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. In the latter part of verse 22, O king, I have done no wrong before you. And the king was exceedingly glad for him, commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. Daniel was taken out of it, and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in his God. So I'll stop there. Daniel had the faith to not worship this image, not worship uh, the, the matters that he had been, been warned about, and he too was delivered. Four stirring examples. I mean, we've, uh, the story of Daniel 
is the uh, stuff of children's books. Uh, then, but not just of children's books. What these four men did, four young men, we don't know the years it took to go through this before Daniel was uh, serving under Darius, but four young men who over those years, however long they were, chose in the face of everyone around them in the Babylonian world to worship and honor their God and have the belief that he would, in fact, deliver them. Not, if you will, distracted. Now, there was no Internet in those days. There were plenty of things they had to ignore. There were plenty of things they had to overlook. There had to be a number of things they had to avoid. These are just the the big things, the big occasions. And maybe with what happened to them, because we know that these these men that laid the trap for for Daniel, uh, that they, uh, they didn't fare well. So maybe others in the court could, as Mr. Uh, Meredith used to say, it's written in, in back in Deuteronomy as well, but Mr. Meredith used to talk about they would learn, they would hear and fear. And so they'd find out, you know, just, these fellows, you want to say, you really don't want to mess with these guys because they, uh, they have some sway with the boss, uh, with the king. So be real careful about what you say and do about them or to them. So they were there in the court, but I'm sure there were lots of distractions. And going on before I read a few other scriptures, uh, short ones briefly, I do want to close with a, uh, a comments from a, a somewhat uh, ancient, uh, uh, Mr. McNair, please excuse me, <laughs> Mr. McNair's comments given in a world ahead from 2016 that uh, Talking about the importance of focus, and uh, he and I, uh, we traded uh, uh, some thoughts this morning that because uh, he volunteered. He was one of the volunteers to speak if I, if I couldn't, uh, and told him, he, but, uh, but I would be quoting him in the sermon. So, uh, frankly, this reading this again was uh, part of the, I think, the inspiration for giving the sermon. But here it's the importance of focus from World Ahead in 2016, I'm sure it was when Dr. Winnell was traveling. He says, I worked on a landscaping crew during my college days and had a supervisor who corrected us for attempting to do multiple things at once, like memorizing lists for an upcoming test. <laughs> uh, I think they probably were still doing that. We, when we were in college, we were given 80 scripture cards. Yeah, one side was where the scripture was located, and on the other side was the scripture. And as freshmen and freshman Bible class, uh, need to emphasize, this was Mr. Meredith's class. He was, he was pretty tough, frankly. <laughs> they had 80 scriptures that we had to memorize. On every test, there would be like five scriptures given, and we had to write them out. And there were five more, as I remember, that he would write, they were written out, and we had to put where they were located. Every test. So uh, anyway, maybe that's what he's referring to, memorizing lists for upcoming tests. But we were, in, uh, we were while we were supposed to be trimming hedges, he didn't like it if our attention was not focused on the job at hand. He would tell us, focus on what you're doing while you're doing it. How many, you know, as parents, we tell our children much the same thing. 
I have thought a lot about his advice over the years, and sometimes distractions are unavoidable. Mothers of small children must multitask to keep children fed and noses wiped. But many of us have self-inflicted distractions that drain our ability to focus on one, any one task. For example, a recent survey shows that many adults and teens are addicted to responding to text and notifications immediately because we hear that little ping, and that's more important than whatever it is we're doing. And we feel this uh, oppressive urgency to respond immediately. That's pointed out. This is in the Washington Post. Multitasking, it points out here, is actually a kind of a problem for kids and adults. If we do this, it means we are in a constant state of distraction. To survive spiritually in these last days, we need to focus. We need to think. We must regularly drink in of God's word, ponder our calling, reflect on our lives. We need to be at services each week to listen to God's word explained. During services, we need to not be distracted by emails, text, or social media, or any number of things that might go on around us, brethren. We're easily distracted by movement, various things. And if we don't, if the simple movement is a distraction, we can control that and not allow it to become a true interference. Because we're going to have, we're going to be distracted. You have 200 and some people, movement around you, noise, these things. Even we have children who get fussy. And if they're too fussy, they're taken out. But we need to do what we can to override those distractions, be what they may. But we hear it says, so we need to avoid this constant state of distraction. To be spirit, to survive spiritually in these last days, we need to focus. We need to think. We must regularly drink in of God's word, ponder our calling, reflect on our lives. We need to be at services each week to listen to God's word explained. And during services, we need to not be distracted. We are there to elevate our thoughts and focus on the glorious future for all mankind. Solomon explained the importance of focusing on doing the right things at the right time. He, he said in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, and these, are, these verses follow the ones we referred to earlier in Proverbs 4. He quotes, Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Verses 25 and 26. He writes, let us make sure we're not falling into the trap of self-destructing multitasking. Time is too short not to be focused. And it is a myth to think that we can multitask in things that really require your mind, what are called cognitive execution or thoughts. Now, we can chew gum and write a text, (laughs) but we cannot talk on the phone cogently, and write an email. You can't do both. It, it, the mind, the brain just won't do two. two uh, both, both things suffer from the distraction. Multitasking, that kind of multitasking is a myth. So we have to avoid the distraction. And he says time is too short not to be focused, and focused on spiritual matters. Let's turn over to Matthew 
couple of scriptures here in closing. Matthew chapter 6. And I could ask many of you to read it, because you probably are, don't know it without going there. Matthew 6, 33. Chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That first means it's priority. It means not interrupting your prayer because the phone dings. Now, there are emergencies. I don't think I've ever said it here. I did say it in Florida that normally when I'm having dinner with my wife, if the phone rings, I don't answer it. Don't interrupt my dinner with, with, with my wife. If it's urgent, really urgent, an emergency, call right back. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a hint that someone needs to talk to me quickly. But leave a message. I'll, I'll return the call if it's not urgent. It's, it's a matter, though, of some things take priority. And our, our time with God should be a priority. We should not allow technology or anything else in our, in our life to totally distract us from being able to communicate carefully and thoroughly and sincerely and earnestly with our God and our Creator. Verse 22, chapter 6, says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And elsewhere it talks about having a single eye, having a Single most important motivation. Not being distracted from the calling we've been given. To obey and serve God, to do His work, to stay close to Him, to concentrate in focused manner on our Bible study. To be focused and concentrating when we are here at services. And again, that applies to me as much as it does to you. To come here with the intent to learn to discipline our minds, to listen carefully, and ask God to help us apply these things to ourselves. Verse 24, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. That God has to come first. And so focusing on our calling, studying carefully, practicing good physical habits. We listed several of them, that the physical things, that will contribute to the ability to concentrate and to focus and to learn, and learn so deeply that we remember these things, we know how to apply them to our lives, and we stay focused on our ultimate goal of qualifying for God's kingdom and qualifying to avoid and not participating in the very big problems that are going to come at the end of the age so that we can survive the test the fiery test that are sure to come our way. The things that we study, the things that we hear, we apply them, we use them to build our faith, the kind of faith that will endure to the end.